Hi everybody, I'm Ray Otis. It is April 29th, 2019. An early Monday morning and time for another Plundergrounds. Plundergrounds, Plundergrounds, welcome back to a brand new show. Ray's gonna take you where you didn't know you wanted to go. Fantasy and dungeon delve, science fiction, watch yourselves. <laughs> Hey Ray, great episode, really enjoyed it mate, perfectly timed, I was listening to an interview with John Harper this morning talking about Blades in the Dark, then I listened to your episode talking about cities and all the great ideas you had around that, how they're neglected and you know quite often we're concentrating on the wilderness, I feel exactly the same and then you mention the magic word necromunda. Oh my goodness, totally need to think about Necromunda mashed in with Blades in the Dark. I haven't tried out Blades in the Dark yet, it's on my must-do list. And now you've got my mind racing, love the setting, love the spire, the uh, underhive and I've got loads of minis, maybe I'll bring some minis to the table. Super, super cool. Cheers, Ray. Thanks, Spike Pit. Yeah, Necromunda was a sweet game, wasn't it? I liked all of the skirmish level games that Games Workshop put out. I think all of them. I really liked Blood Bowl. I liked Necromunda. I liked Mordheim. I actually have the reissue of Space Hulk and haven't played it. Um, or maybe I did play it once. I, uh, I don't know if I like that one quite as well, but it always appealed to me. I like the fact that they were... Miniatures level strategy games, but they played in a board game time frame and in terms of how much stuff you had to carry. So they mostly fit on card tables or slightly larger tables. A big kitchen table is just fine. They only expected you to carry uh, a lot of fold-down cardboard terrain or uh, like in Blood Bowl, it was just a big board game board, the pitch. Um, Space Hulk, it was kind of a modular hallways and corridors kind of thing. Anyway, it all fit in like a board game box, essentially. And you didn't have to paint a million miniatures. You could just paint up a team. So a dozen miniatures, maybe 14 miniatures, and you were good to go. I really liked that. Uh, you never felt overwhelmed by the hobby aspect of it. And because of that, a lot of times I would paint m up multiple teams. I know I have multiple Blood Bowl teams. Uh, I never painted my Space Hulk stuff, or at least I haven't yet. Uh, and I had, let's see, I had Skaven for Mordheim, might add Chaos for Mordheim as well. This has all been quite a while ago. But I definitely remember my Necromunda gang, they were the Delac gang. They all wore goggles and they were bald, I think. And So I uh, painted my gang up, they all had their names on the bases, they had cool tattoos all over them. Um, I don't remember the names, honestly. I, the only two I can remember are Eight Ball and Two Socks. And I hope the rest of the names were better than that but that's <laughs> that's I remember they all had goofy nicknames that was a great time and Blades in the Dark yeah I'm a huge fan of John Harper I think he does excellent games he has several free ones out there that you can play I would highly recommend Lady Blackbird uh, Lasers and Feelings uh, I've played Ghost Echo that one's a little bit more obscure in terms of, of I don't know if I'd recommend it if you don't already uh, if you aren't strongly interested in it because it takes you have to bring a lot to it but yeah he has some great games the mustang um what else am i missing well so then when he did blades in the dark i was super excited 
It started out as a pretty lightweight game and it seemed to grow in complexity. I think most of that was an illusion just because a lot of it was stuff added to the book to flesh out the world and missions and things like that. There are a few extra little bolt-on systems, but I, I think ultimately it's a pretty... It's lighter than I probably think it is as a system, but I just got a little intimidated, and I think that long Kickstarter wait kind of uh, made me lose enthusiasm for the game or lose energy for the game. But now that you mention it, yeah, I really would like to play that. I really would like to get back to that. And Necromunda would be, the fiction for Necromunda, the setting, would be a perfect fit for Blades in the Dark, or almost a perfect fit. You might have to meld the two ideas just a little bit. I think there's some things in Blades in the Dark that you'd want to import into the hive or maybe just reflavor a little bit to 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 be you know part of the hive but other than that i think that would be a sweet game so hey if you ever run it count me in i'll i'll get up early and play uh, to match the uk time zone i also wanted to say that i really enjoyed our feds little podcast on your stream the other day about using was it dead of night dead of winter I forget the name, but uh, kind of a zombie apocalypse game from the sound of it. Using the, the little bits of fiction on the cards, the little scenarios, the random events as inspiration for a role-playing game. Absolutely. Absolutely that would work. I mean, you almost don't have to do anything, do you? There's all the preps right there for you. You just kind of put your pack of cards together and maybe make a few little random decks for yourself. You know, NPCs, events, whatever, and go to town. So I thought that was uh, a really nice choice like to hear more from your family. Maybe, you know, I heard uh, you left a call in to, I forget which podcast the other day, but I could hear Sonny playing his drums in the background, and I thought that was awesome. Uh, maybe we'll get uh, some more of the, some more podcasts from the extended members of the Spike Pit family. But yeah, keep going, Fed. Enjoyed that. Wow, Ray, that city episode was really dynamite. I'm caught up thinking about cities now. It made me think of Mark Miller's starters and how a few well-designed impressions and really excellent questions can breathe a lot of life into a city when you enter. Keep up all the awesome. Thanks, Logan. Hey, you conflated two names. When you said Mark Miller, you were thinking of both Marshall Miller and Mark Tiger, which makes sense because they are both prolific writers of Dungeon Starters for Dungeon World. Uh, you can find Marshall Miller's, which are just excellent, up at finemessgames.com. I think that's right. Just Google Fine Mess Games or Marshall Miller Dungeon Starters, and you will find what I'm talking about. He has one that's actually based in a city that I have played before. I think it's called The Escape. I didn't go check before the podcast. Uh, it just now occurred to me to talk about it. But it takes place in a city that is beleaguered by an army of the undead, and the characters are... I think they've been imprisoned or, or being held prisoner, and uh, I don't remember now. I've played it a couple times, and I can't remember how it starts. But i got to tell you, the reason I can't remember is because the starters are so well designed to take to the table and get things going that pretty soon you don't remember what was in the original piece of paper and what your group brought to the game. It just kind of all melds together in a real fluid event. You don't have to play Dungeon World to use these. They are composed of one two-sided piece of paper uh, and they give the GM agenda from Dungeon World 
which, uh, you know, is always, that's just good advice. It has nothing to do with Dungeon World, really. It just is good GM advice. Uh, they have impressions, which are sensory details you can pass along as a GM to the players to get to make an, uh, to set a tone, to set an environment, to get them grounded in the fiction. And then it has questions that uh, you can ask the characters in character so they can help get uh, flag for you what they're interested in happening in the game. But uh, they also just get the game up and running so fast and just brilliant stuff. I've played a number of his starters and they've all been really good at the table. I highly recommend them. They're totally free. Just go grab a few and try it out. Like I said, you don't have to play Dungeon World. Grab it and use it with 5e D&D or BX or any fantasy adventure game. I think you could, unless it's a game that you can't uh, invent monsters very very quickly or doesn't have a nice bestiary for you to draw on, you you won't have any problem at all. Uh, I think you could just pick it up and run with it. Good stuff. And... You know that whole, I mentioned that whole city idea of people who live for arranging skeletons in their catacombs. That, man, combining that with the escape would be really odd, wouldn't it? What if the undead army is there besieging the city because they want access to those catacombs because there's a fairly, almost an infinite store of, you know, troops down there if they could get close enough to reanimate them. Uh, to get past the magical seals that the town has put on their catacombs. And the town would have a strong interest in protecting those catacombs because that's their history. As you go deeper and deeper into the catacombs, you go further and further back into their own history, little tableaus that that uh, mimic famous events in the life of the town. And if they lose that, if all those skeletons are animated, um, they don't have records of those. And so they would lose their history. They would lose their complete town identity. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> I know I've mentioned the escape on the podcast before because I talked about that uh, giant, uh, that bone giant that I used. I, I had a, a a huge skeletal giant that was composed of hundreds of individual skeletons all grabbing each other and interlocking into this big anthropomorphic form. And I had it crash into the city wall and basically break the wall down. And as soon as it got through, then it dissolved into hundreds of skeletons that ran amok inside the town. And I'm thinking a lot about this just because I was watching Game of Thrones last night. It's, you know, we just started season eight, it's episode three. And no spoilers, I'm not going to spoil anything. But uh, Game of Thrones at various times in its uh, season history has had zombies and skeleton armies at, at, in a war scenario, in a battle scenario, and they just do it so well. They do a great job with it. They are essentially fast zombies. You know, they have uh, they're speedy skeletons. They're fanatical. They have the weakness of being under the control of a central, essentially a necromancer. So, you, you know, it's pretty classical, but uh, some of the cool tricks that they play with the skeleton army, essentially making them act like army ants or something. It's really cool. It's really cool. And, and the visuals are really strong. So uh, even if you're not a Game of Thrones fan, maybe I could probably highlight some specific episodes for you to watch just to see the undead armies. I don't want to spoil it by telling you where I've seen them recently, though. So yeah, cool stuff. You got to love the undead, right? If you do them right, they're amazing. It's a little cliche these days because there's been so many zombie films and uh, vampire films and maybe fewer skeletons but 
you know, skeletons just seem like the shock troops for those other bigger, badder, undead creatures. I still think if you do it right, it's it can be amazing. My main topic for this episode is Xeno Dead Zone. I've played this game, I was traveling recently in Mexico, as you probably know if you listen to my podcast, and it was the last night, I was uh, tired, had a little bit of uh, issues from drinking the water like an idiot, I kind of lost track of what I was doing, and I got thirsty one night in my hotel room, filled up a glass with some tap water and set it by my bedside, and then I just kind of forgot and did it for about two days straight, (laughs) drinking tap water, (laughs) so I'm still trying to dig out from that. you know, some, well, we won't go into details, but, uh, yeah, not smart. Uh, anyway, I wanted to stay in the hotel for the last night and maybe do a little bit of gaming. I had an early flight, so I didn't want to go too late. And, uh, we got on the audio dungeon discord and Arlen Walker said that he was running a hybrid board game, role-playing game called Xeno Dead Zone at, uh, I don't know, remember it's like nine o'clock or something like that. And I said, well, how, how long does it go? Cause I don't want to be up so late. And he's oh, it's like, you know, hour and a half, two hours. And I was thinking, sure, you know, maybe, we'll see. But I jumped in, and man, it was it was good fun. It absolutely played in like an hour and a half, I think, and uh, two hours with even with uh, teaching the game and, you know, some after debriefing and general bullshitting just to kind of get to know each other. But, yeah, it was a good time. So um, Arlen Walker ran it. I played with Jonathan Pierce as the other player. We both controlled a squad of five Marines, so we had ten Marines total. The game is put out by Runehammer Press, uh, or Runehammer Games, which is Hank... Oh, I can never remember his last name, but he does videos on YouTube's uh, uh, Drunkens and Dragons, I think he is the title of one of his series, where he drinks and he talks about D&D, which is pretty funny. Uh, not doesn't devolve into silliness too much. He's just an emphatic, interesting guy to listen to. Um, loves his uh, miniatures and his terrain, and really, I think his strength is in that kind of one, almost like a one-shot super dynamic game uh, that's very action oriented and has you know timers and threats and all kinds of stuff in it so but he also invented a, a role-playing game called the index card role-playing game or ICRPG I have never played it but now I kind of feel like I have because I think it's the underpinning for Xeno Dead Zone so if you want to I mean I'm not an expert here but I feel like if you wanted to try out his style of design let's say it that way instead of saying trying out the ICRPG um you should grab Xeno Dead Zone. It's four dollars and fifty cents on Drive Through RPG, which seems like a steal to me because he's got uh, a whole bunch of printable rooms that were drawn in a nice, clean black and white uh, and maybe grayscale style. I can't remember for sure, but you print these out and they essentially form the board. Uh, I don't know if it's always the same, but the scenario we played was kind of a bug hunt and a Hulk. Space Hulk with three objectives, and I think the objectives obviously change from game to game. But the board was laid out in uh, four grids, or four, four quadrants, and in each quadrant there were four rooms. So 16 rooms in total with, uh, ra- I think, randomly generated interconnecting hallways between them. And we had objectives in various rooms. We had to get a civilian to a console uh, so that he could do something. We had to pick up a piece of tech that was there that was valuable and we had to clear three different rooms we got about one and a half objectives done (laughs) we got the piece of tech i actually got the 
Sivy to the control panel, but uh, before he could do his thing, aliens spawned just outside our room and then went into seeker mode and uh, burst through the door and killed him before I, he could before he could get his work done. So yeah, we failed on that one. Um, we had to evacuate, having lost about uh, a third to half of our troops and with only one objective done. Arlen said that was actually pretty good. <laughs> so it's a tough game to beat. Uh, and I do think it's a game to beat because it is a bit like Pandemic. It has, it feels very random on some level. There's lots of random tables. Uh, so for instance, the, on the player turn, you know, you move and, and do combat. And on the GM's turn, there's an escalation event that's randomly rolled that uh, can affect your ammo or spawn new, almost always spawns new aliens. Uh, power can go off, different things can happen that make the game more exciting. But with all that randomness, it, I mean, you sort of know that you're in an environment where the game is trying to screw you, where you're, where you're in deep doo-doo. And so all that randomness doesn't really feel that random in the end. You're expecting bad things to happen. It's just a question of which bad things are going to happen. And the way the dice mechanics works, uh, you, you know, you can kind of predict how successful you'll be at things. It's not too swingy. So, and the play is tactical in the way that, I mean, let's just call it, it's a lot like Pandemic, right? With a bit more role-playing added to it. Um, and instead of a virus, you're hunting aliens. And instead of the world, it's a, it's a derelict space hulk, right? So there you go. I mean, the, in, the influences here are obvious. Aliens, Bug Hunt, um, you know, Starship Troopers, uh, um, Space Hulk, that kind of stuff. It does play in two hours or less pretty consistently. Arlen's running a number of times, and he says it does that. So, and I believe him because, you know, when we played, I thought, yeah, even if you did, even if you stuck it out and managed to get all three objectives, I mean, it might go to two and a half hours, maybe. I, I doubt it. I don't think it would ever go over two. Uh, let's see. So characters have mm, five, eight stats essentially, which sounds like a lot, but it really isn't because they're in two groups. There's training which is like your class, I would say, but you have 10 points to spread out among your training and no single training can be more than four. Uh, you have pilot, mechanics, systems, weapons, and medic. So those are just roles that you're going to play. And obviously you're going to have some soldiers that are better at uh, some things and worse at others. And you do some cross training because guys are going to die. So you need more than one medic or more than one systems guy. Um, you definitely need more than one mechanic because welding doors shut is a pretty big strategy <laughs> to, to clear areas behind you. Um, and then there's three saves that you spend six points between. Uh, save versus fear, save uh, dodge essentially to save versus an attack, and then uh, save versus death. So you spread your, your six points out among those, and you're good to go. Uh, uh, your turn as a player involves moving all of your characters. You get two actions. The first, well, one of the two actions is a move action. It doesn't matter which order they come in. The other action could be a move action too, but it could also be a combat action or something special, like interacting with a control panel or trying to weld a door shut or something like that. Uh, the mechanic is you roll a d20, add your stat, and you compare it to a target number. That target number, I think it starts at 10. It goes up or down with the escalation events, so it can get harder or easier to uh, shoot the aliens based on what's going on around you. Uh, let's see, what else to say? You know, that's about it, really. It was a good time. I had a, I had a really good time playing it. I have no real negatives to say about it. It played very smoothly. 
Uh, it was a lot of fun. There wasn't a lot of role-playing opportunities. I mean, there was some, definitely. You could definitely kind of get in character and immerse yourself in the game. But I would say it's like a good role-playing style board game. I'd put a little more emphasis on the miniatures or board game aspect of it. And coming full circle, it, you know, it fits pretty well in that uh, run of things I was talking about earlier, Necromunda, Mordheim, whatever, except that it's much quicker to play and, uh, you know, faster and looser uh, in a good way. I mentioned that the the PDF was a real steal because not only does it have, I think, 50-some rooms, but it has a whole bunch of uh, little miniatures that you can print out and fold into little tents that you can move around. So the game's complete in and of itself. you got everything you need other than, you know, maybe some dice to play it when, when you buy the game. I could totally see playing this on a tabletop with some miniatures. I think some pawns even or uh, some just little plastic figurines would add a lot to it. Uh, you're going to need a lot of aliens, though, if you're going to play. <laughs> I think we killed, like, 40 aliens and still had to bug out because we were getting overwhelmed. Um, you might need, I would say, you know, at any given time, we probably never faced more than two dozen. So if you had, like, two dozen gene stealers or other, like, alien uh, figures, that would probably be enough. And uh, the movement was really smooth. It wasn't a, a, a grid-based thing. You basically, each card represented, like... Moving from one card to another was a distance, and moving from like one edge, you know, within a card was a distance. So if you moved twice, you might move from the west side of the room to the east side of the room would be one move, and then through a door into the next room would be another. So, um, you know, you don't really need to do a lot of measuring or anything like that. There's a little bit of relative positioning in terms of matching up aliens versus dudes who they're fighting and uh but not a lot you, you know you can do kind of common sense stuff there um if you're firing at things in close quarters there's some acid splash acid blood splashes that happen so you can kind of see who's close to what but position matters but not all that much so it's not fiddly at all uh just a really nice little design i i highly recommend it it was really great. And just, you know, hey, thanks to Arlen and thanks to Jonathan for playing with me. We had a really good time. I'd play with you guys anytime. Um, I don't play online all that much, but I really enjoy it when I do. Oh, I do have one negative. So the game, I think, was kind of designed to play online. Um, or maybe that just maybe that's just in my head. But uh, and it, it looked really cool online. Arlen did a good job of setting up the map in, in Roll20, and Roll20 was perfect for it. Um, it had this little feature I like where if you if you hold your cursor down on Roll20, it sends out a little green pulse, you know, an expanding circle to kind of show you where your counter is. And Arlen used that when the aliens would spawn. He would uh, click on the, on the card room in which they spawned and send off a little signal in the middle of nowhere. And we'd be like, oh, you know, it's like a blip on our handheld motion detector. We're like, oh, oh, that's where they're at, you know. Um, but then they would go dark until they moved or, or so it was when they're standing still essentially we couldn't find him so that was cool um but my my complaint which really isn't a complaint is i was playing on an ipad i think it's a you know it's right around that 10 inch mark ipad it's it's an i it's an ipad pro uh that uh, last generation not the most recent one but i think it's 9.7 inches it's the smaller one anyway i was playing on that and there just was not enough screen real estate to play it very well <laughs> roll 20 the sidebar um for the chat took up about you know my, the the right quarter of my screen let's say 
and then the three uh, icons of players below on the bottom left kind of blocked out that part. And then um, when I'm trying to like shrink and grow the map with my fingers, it was just like super sensitive. So it would get really big or just way too small. And I was having a hard time kind of seeing a little bit. Uh, but you know what? That's what you get for trying to play on an iPad, right? I mean, I kind of feel like that's not a fair criticism. <laughs> it worked though. I mean, I don't, I don't think I had so much problem that it really got in the way of my fun. It was it was mild, mildly frustrating. Let's put it that way. So I don't know that I'd recommend playing on an iPad. Other than that, cool game. There you have it. I'm Ray Otis signing off. This has been another Plundergrounds. My opening theme song is by Logan Howard of the Amazing Swordbreaker Zine and Podcast. You can find a gateway to all of my projects, free games, Patreon, whatever, at www.rayotus.com. That's R-A-Y-O-T-U-S. And until next time, look out for Rust Monsters. <laughs>